Welcome to Luthier's Tale. I'm Ben Liggett, Luthier and owner of Liggett Guitars. Every week I interview someone that is passionate about their craft. This week I'm speaking with Andy Pitcher. He's an experimental guitarist and musician. I really enjoyed our talk and I hope you do too. Follow Andy on Instagram at andy.pitcher and Andy Pitcher on YouTube. For more info on my guitars, just go to LiggettGuitars.com or follow me on Instagram at LiggettGuitars. Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've been following you for a while, and uh, I think I first saw you because you got a Tau guitar. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I, I've been a big towel fan for a while and uh, saw that you were uh, playing one of those. And then I just like really enjoyed your playing and your use of effects and stuff like that. And so I've been following you ever since. That's cool. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I was I was really lucky to come across um, Tao. They really changed uh, the way I, I interact with music, I would say. Really? How so? Well, I I would say the way it changed the way I think about music, but I think it was the, they kind of provided me the first opportunity to um, make the music I was always hearing because I was able to get someone to like hear my, my ideas and try some kind of weird stuff like uh, on uh, Denki Maguro, um, which is the guitar they, they had built for me. And it, it just feels like a, like an oh finally kind of thing yeah what does that name mean by the way electric tuna um it's japanese for electric tuna and uh serge had named it um tuna comes from the the top and back of the guitar being kind of like that uh that uh washi paper blue Mm -hmm. and that gray like a tuna fish and then electric just because of all the uh extra doodads that are in there like a bunch of passive electronics yeah, what all what all doodads are on it? So, I wanted it to act like a normal kind of three way telly thing. If you didn't touch anything um, that wasn't like a pickup selector or a knob, and then from there, there are two little switches that are master on offs for uh, two circuits, which have volume knobs embedded in the pick guard. Um, one controls a microphone which is that little white box in the upper corner and a piezo that is embedded in the body and it uh, controls both of them in parallel. And I use those for like sampling acoustic instruments around me. If I'm in a jam, like I, I can point it at the drummer and sample something they do and uh, just kind of have that loaded into one of the pedals. Just like loop cool. it? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Um, and so like sometimes I'll grab a sample with say like a DL4 and I'll stop it immediately and then sometime later, I'll play the drummer back to themselves through my amp. But now it's with distortion or something. Whoa. And it, it's usually a good surprise um, <laughs> for them. Um, and then the piezo in the body kind of turns any interaction with it into a sound source. So whether I run my hand across the washi paper, which is really textured, or um, I play the springs in the tremolo system... Yeah, or uh, just rubbing a string against a fret, and then 
the other volume knob and on off switch set are for a input jack rather than an output jack. Um, so I can send audio into the guitar and out of it on a mixed with the pickups and stuff. Oh, so it just blends the signal into the guitar signal. Mm -hmm. And so I and can do you have you have a volume right. on that as well. I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a volume and an on off and that way I can attenuate it and then just click it in and out um, the same way I would a pedal. So I, I can run um, a drum machine into it or a synthesizer or a pitch tracking synthesis or uh, a feedback loop. So I could send like a stereo out of a pedal on my board back into the guitar mm. and then control the volume and um, filter it a little with the tone knob and then send it back out to itself. So you can do kind of interesting oscillating textures with that or turn a, a single repeat delay into like a multiple repeat delay, but each one gets all chewed up by the, by the feedback loop process. What do you find yourself uh, using most often as far as sending signals into it? Um, I, uh, my buddy Tom Karam from Spiral Electric and I were talking about doing a pedal for a while. And the time kind of came up right as I was about to get this guitar and I, and I realized uh, it might be cool to make a pedal to partner with it. And so we, uh, we had worked on a, on a pedal that was kind of an evolution of his um, Spyro Black. And it's like a new old stock uh, mixed with Nanolog fuzz that has two outputs that um, both turn on and off from the one foot switch. And so I can run uh, a second signal chain off of one of the fuzz outputs and run it back into the guitar. And so I really often find myself putting maybe like a Red Panda Lab Tensor and a Fairfield Circuitry Randy's Revenge into the feedback loop. And then when I hit that switch, I have like tape stop glitching, time warp glitching, and a ring mod all of a sudden there in the guitar. Wow. But because it's in the fuzz circuit, it kind of gets uh, chewed up and distorted in a, in a way that's really natural. Um, because when you do it with a lot of digital stuff in a feedback loop, which you could do with like a total sonic annihilation or Fairfield makes a, a feedback looper now, um, there's a lot of digital whining. So when you mix it with the analog stuff, you can tame that high end a lot mm. and you end up with something that just sounds like a broken analog gear, but it's, it's safe and fun. <laughs> wow. That sounds crazy. Man, have have you uh, have you done a, a demo video of just everything the guitar can do? No, not yet. I I've it's something that I had on my list before I had received it, and the more I play with it, the more tricks I find. And I think I just need to just do one and then tell myself I'll do an update video when I have enough new tricks instead of waiting for me to find everything because I I just don't think I ever will. <laughs> I have a, there's one video that I shot, I think two days after I got the guitar and I just wanted to send one to um, John and Serge at Tao just to be like, Hey, thanks. I love it. It's perfect. And uh, I ended up putting it on YouTube a little while later because uh, Serge had, had posted it and I didn't realize. And I was like, Oh gosh, well, I should just put up this anyway. I didn't, I didn't mean for it to get shared, but why not? And that shows some of the piezo and feedback loop stuff. Um, 
I'll send that to you. There's like these big low notes that are actually the reverb feeding back into itself, even though it's a digital reverb and uh, the piezo stuff's pretty obvious because I'm just tapping all over the guitar and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. I, so <clears throat> I guess, I guess now um, I realize that it's like a speaker port, but I think I've seen you kind of pick on that in the upper horn area. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of strum on it and the, the piezo picks it up. Yeah. And, and right under it is a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. So you use the microphone when you're doing that tactile thing on that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I can speak into it, or if I have like a a kalimba, you know, some sort of little handheld thing, it's easy to play into there. Or funny enough, I actually discovered the piezo is sensitive enough that I can press a, a, a kalimba into the body and pick it up. Or I could, um, you know, if I, I, there are times where my buddy has this, uh, my friend Sam uh, Gasperi, who plays in this band called Destructos, we sometimes play um, improv guitar sets together and he has a like 32 inch baritone egc from 2008 it's a really early one mm. and uh i can turn the piezo on my guitar put it in my lap and uh play the baritone and you'd be able to hear it through the piezo the tau wow yeah so i can like press it against my belly and then put them back to back and play this like massive aluminum hollow body thing and uh it picks it up and it and it's it still surprises me <laughs> like stuff like that <laughs> i didn't think you know because because i had i had designed the piezo and um microphone and stuff part of it inspired by david torn's tornipulator but i didn't expect it to do a lot of the stuff it does um and that's and that's kind of what that's kind of the the fun of the of it existing is like yeah i had these ideas but all these ideas led me to new things that I never would have tried if I hadn't tried the first thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, man, once you start getting feedback loops going that you really like, I mean, that's, uh, it's kind of unlimited fun. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so do you work for string joy? Yep. Okay. How long have you been with them? I joined them during the first wave of the pandemic um it has been a bit over a year i worked remotely for most of that and then a couple months ago i moved um from philadelphia down to nashville to work in the office oh nice yeah in the in the factory kind of warehouse so you're a, a newly nashville resident yeah how are you liking it down there it's interesting it's really different you know i'm i'm definitely like a, a northerner for what it's worth. And, and so it's been really interesting kind of learning. Uh, it, it's never been a cultural shock thing. And I've been very fortunate to tour a bunch. So I've seen the US well over, but there are little details that you miss when you pass through a city in a day. Um, sure. And it's been interesting just discovering like the kind of like groceries that I've never seen before, like pickled okra or something or how affordable certain groceries are or how impossible to find certain groceries are. Like I haven't seen vanilla silt seltzer in, uh, in months. I didn't think it was a big deal, but I missed my polar, like stupid little things like that. Oh yeah. But, well, uh, see pickled okra that I, I can find that anywhere. And I haven't heard of anyone having vanilla seltzer. So yeah, there you go. So yeah, th these are things I wouldn't have thought of. 
yeah, it's been it's been a, it's been cool though, and I I really like it, and I like the pe- the people I've met here a lot. Um, I haven't had a car in a long while, but you need one here, and and luckily I I've, I'm in the position to get one now, and uh, that's been fun to have again, and it's it's a really different life than uh than what where I was at like a year ago. That's awesome, man. I'm glad you're liking it so far. What is your what's your role as Stringjoy? I'm the brand manager here, so I do um, all the email and social media stuff, and I design sort of like little campaigns and uh, work on product development. That's and I, awesome. Uh, so you get to I'd... test out all the new fun things. Yeah, yeah, and the and the new bad things that we decide not to tell anyone about. Um, well, yeah, they need someone that can tell the good from the bad, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're always trying, you know, new stuff, and sometimes it's just a kind of prove a point to ourselves that something is in fact um you know kind of unmusical like we have a and usually we'll end up making a video about it like there's a guitar here with all plain strings like unwound yeah like all the way down to a 46 and it's just not uh it's just inharmonic like the notes don't resonate in a way that is sympathetic to uh you know what pythagoras discovered Hmm. and it's uh it kind of sounds like a ring mod. I I, I love it, but <laughs> would you ever set up your one of your guitars with that? I'm tempted. We have. I'm lucky that there are a number of guitars here that are kind of like permanently set up with these experiments. Like um, we added mass to uh, non harmonic nodes along a, a string to see what would happen. And it pulls secondary tones out of it that are not from the um, harmonic series of the open note, and which is even more like a ring mod. And uh, I would definitely put a set of those on on one of my guitars if we made more of them. But they were really they were really intensive to make, and the end result is is just just pretty cool, you know. What What did you do to add mass? Uh, we just literally wound uh, added tapers under the string as if you would with a bass string, but we just put them in um, unideal places. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't like uh, super specific places. It, it, it was specifically bad places. Okay. Like over the, over the pickups, but not over like that second order harmonic where the neck pickup usually sits on a fender. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a little south of that, so you'd be engaging kind of like the... Uh, it like wants to be that that major third that's right there, but it's a just intonation third, not a equal temperament third. So it's totally out of tune with the fretting system we use. Oh, so it's it's pretty fun. Wow. Yeah, talk about experimental. Yeah. <laughs> Your kind of thing is experimental music, right? Uh, yeah, I would say at this point, um, I. Uh, I feel comfortable with that title. Nice. Yeah. I'm glad it's not a, some kind of insult. I wasn't trying to <laughs> insult. <that. clears throat> yeah. So how did you, how did you kind of diverge from say popular music to uh, more weird stuff? Or were you always drawn to the weird stuff? Um, I was always drawn to the weird stuff, but I was a, um, I was a much more grounded player for a very long time, despite that, I would say. Mm-hmm. 
coming up, I started playing guitar when I was like around 12, 14. And I had this, I, uh, this idea in my head of like how you're supposed to do it. And so I was learning a lot of like blues and rock kind of tradition stuff. Um, and was not very good at it. And so my first impulse was to find what I was good at without realizing that I just had to practice. Mm-hmm. And that led me to uh, the world of electronics and the world of pedals, and I couldn't really afford any. So I spent, you know, probably the first two years of my time as a guitar player reading about guitar more than I actually, like, picked up the thing. Um, and, you know, and then I started being able to work a little bit, and I'd save up money, and I'd get, like, a multi-effect here and a delay here. And I started finding all these cool things they could do. And I still couldn't really play... And then around 16, um, I had like actually learned what practicing was that there's, you know, you can like actually sit down and do the thing slow and then all of a sudden you can do it. Um, and then at that point I was already like spoiled into this kind of weird trend. So, um, I had developed kind of the pedal chops before my playing chops. And then from there, it was too tied for me to rip it out and start over. Um, but my favorite band in middle school was like, I pretty much only listened to Primus for a really long time. And that really influenced uh, where the guitar should sit in music for me and what kind of things it should be adding. Man, that was one of my first bands too. <clears throat> yeah, they're just, they're just so effective at what they do. It's unbelievable what Larry... Because when there's just a like a wall of sound being produced, like Les Claypool, you know, where do you fit? And I think, um, yeah, like my real childhood listening was uh, all stuff handed down from my father. And, you know, so that's, of course, like uh, the Beatles and Sabbath and stuff. And, and they, those are all lessons, I think, in in doing weird in a in a way that's really musical. So I think that kind of primed me for a lifetime of getting weirder and weirder and you know, it could still be music if you mean it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like all the White Album stuff. What's his full name? Larry what? Uh, Lalonde. Yeah, Larry Lalonde. He's, um, he's like one of the most underrated guitarists to me. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, and, and no one brings him up and he's just, <laughs> he just shreds over every song for every like second of it almost. Yeah. And I think that was something that, and and the, I think the thing I really learned from him was looking into the band and learning about Larry. And when he was younger, he was in a band called Possessed from uh, San Francisco. Okay. And they have an album called Seven Churches. It's like 80s thrash that's meaner than anything else. And hearing him like traditionally shred in a way that I could never, and at that time especially was so intimidated by, but he chose to be weird. I think was the lesson that really was like, okay, I can't do that stuff because at this time I thought you could just do it or you couldn't. I didn't, again, didn't understand practicing. (laughs) Um, I was like, well, I'm just not one of the chosen ones. I guess I'll be weird. And uh, just have been, yeah. Well, I can tell from your playing that you've got some traditionally uh, good skills as well. Thanks. Yeah. I caught up later and I I got into, um, I got really into classical guitar and jazz and, once I learned how to practice, I got too into practicing and, it, and I just kind of sound like I was practicing all the time. Um, 
I'd pick up a guitar and it just sounded like scales or something. And so I started improvising only. I stopped writing music and that's been the last couple of years where I just am pretty much only improvising, except when I'm doing studio work, I'll like write my parts out um, so I can add harmony and stuff and know where it's going. But I, I kind of filled that all in on the back end. Are you releasing music now? No, um, I've, I've co-written with people for a couple of years and I, and I like to do little guest spots. Um, there's this, uh, this great singer, kind of electronic singer songwriter out of Brooklyn goes by Motika, M O T Y K A. And I've, um, co-written a bunch of that stuff with him. And, um, a record just came out this year called ultra pop by the armed. And I, I played on that, uh, a very tiny bit. Um, but I'm really excited about that one. And, uh, I have a couple improv things I've done with friends uh, over the years. Nice. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm working on a I'm working on the idea for a record because I I think if I just I think it's similar to what I was saying about the tower uh, video where if I wait until I'm I'm done, it'll never happen. So I just yeah. have to like outline what I want a record to be and then fill in the blanks from there and then just record it, release it, not think about it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a daunting task too. That's a lot of work <laughs> yeah. to do a, a record. Yeah. I, I recently, um, cut something I'm really excited about. Um, I'm not sure when or how it will be released. It's the kind of thing that I don't even think will be able to be fully enjoyed for the first bit. So we might want to wait until it's, fully enjoyable but um i recorded a an all improvised record of a hexaphonic spatial sound guitar what uh, which yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is uh which is a first so uh i'll back up so there's this technology called spatial sound um which has been in development for the past like 10 20 years i, I i'll say and it is probably the first um, really consumable update in um, audio listening since stereo, like going from mono to stereo. Okay. Um, because after stereo, we went quadraphonic and people didn't want to buy new audio systems, which at this point are just called stereo systems, even if they're not stereo. And then movies picked it up and then it kind of went like 5.1 and now you have Dolby Atmos and like, you know, 19.1.7 or whatever. And all this stuff just means I'm buying more speakers for my house. Right. Which uh, people don't want to mix for and is kind of unnatural. Um, in the past like 30 years, you know, since like the Walkman, people have just been listening to music on headphones. So it doesn't even matter anyway. Uh, spatial sound is kind of the, answer to this where it's using inertia measurement units that you would use in say like a vr headset uh, in headphones to track your head inside of an audio sphere and so oh. you can uh if you record the right way with a spatial sound mic it basically maps a room so if there's like a kick drum behind you and a guitarist in front of you and the vocalist is, is on your right will not only sound like it's mixed with the vocals to the right ear 
and a little bit of kick drum and a little bit of guitar, but you hear the reflections in your left ear of all those things accurately. On normal headphones? On Well, so on normal headphones, it sounds like you're sitting in the perfect spot. And in headphones that have these special uh, IMUs in them, inertia measurement units, you'd be able to look at the singer or look at the drummer and the mix will change. And you're basically Whoa. in like audio VR. Um, audio VR? Yeah, which sounds really obtusive, but they are in the next generation of AirPod and they're already in the this generation of AirPod Pro. They're in this generation of uh, Bose QuietComforts. It's slowly being added to stuff probably mostly for video game and home entertainment, but you will be able to use these same headphones for music and they're going to be in everyone's pocket in a year or two. So, um, wow. My friend Jajin, who runs this, uh, two department studio in New York city has a company called Mach one audio. And he's kind of been an innovator in this space for the past couple of years. And he's done spatial sound and audio for a bunch of movies like the new lion King. And, um, I think, I think it was alien covenant and stuff. And he's a, he's a guitar nerd as well. And was like, hey, why don't we record a guitar record this way? That'd be interesting. And um, I was given like five months to think about it before the time would come. And I decided, <laughs> this is the other half of that equation, that it should be uh, done with a hexaphonic guitar. Okay. So I have this pickup built by a company called SciSpy, C-Y-C-F-I out of the Philippines. Uh, where each string has its own discrete audio output. Ah. Yeah. And it has like a 20 to 20K output. It's super hi-fi. And I can send them each to their own amp. And so I set up a hexagon of amps around the spatial sound (laughs) microphone. And so when you listen to it with the full-on special headphones and everything, uh, you'll be able to look at each string discreetly or sit there and be in the middle of a like a little symphony of guitar strings. Wow. So have you listened back to it? How is it? It's crazy. Really? It's unbelievable. It honestly sounds better recorded than it did in person because you have so much... Uh, there's just so much going on when you're there in person and you're actually playing and stuff, but just listening back <clears throat> in isolation and getting to hear the room move around me and getting to hear like a melody I was playing on one string move to the next string. Yeah. I, oh I'm try- it's hard to even like conceive of how that would be, how that, how it would be to experience that. Yeah. I thought, I thought, uh, I was honestly fearful that it would make me dizzy, but it didn't at all even during the fast parts or the parts that were really noisy. And we did probably uh, three or four hours of clean guitar and then about that much time of affected guitar where each string had one pedal. But that meant like my A string had a red panda particle and then I had a tensor on three strings because I have a few tensors. And then there's like an old blood noise sunlight sustaining one of the strings infinitely and... uh, and then I would set up the amps so that it wasn't one string next to the other. But so if I strummed a chord, it would bounce around the room because the E strings in front of you and the A strings behind you and the D string is next to the E string and you know, what have you. And all of a sudden incredible. 
yeah, it's I, I, I'm super excited for it. Um, but it might be a little bit till I can share it. I, I would like if we maybe put out a version. Because basically, there are three mixes you could print off of that. <clears throat> there is the one where you're sitting in a room and it sounds unbelievably clear and realistic, but like your stri- like your Clockwork Orange strapped to a chair. Right, you're fixed in in space. Yeah, and and that's your mix, and it still sounds unbelievable. You're just not interacting. Then there's the fully interactive mix, which would probably be streamed through an app. Um, and then there's one where we can use the Mach One plugins to automate where you're looking. So it's more like you're in a uh, in like a seat at an amusement park where it like spins your chair to make you look at stuff in the room for, on a ride. I'll be able to physically turn the listener's head to listen to the D-string amp if there's a um, like an interesting tensor glitch at that moment that I want to highlight, or uh-huh. if I'm playing um, a melody between two strings and I want you to get the harmony, I could put you in a position where each string is on either side of your head, and then when that melody falls away, I can recenter you. And that I, I'm most excited to hear because in a car, the effect would work and it wouldn't be disorienting because it's just like a mix changing. Um, you can even print that mix to vinyl and it would sound like it's spinning around you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a lot, of, it's a lot of work from here, but I think we captured some really interesting performances and I did some, I did a bunch of standard tuning stuff. I did a couple things in open tuning so it could just kind of drone, um, mm. I did some prepared guitar stuff that was kind of noisy. And then I did some really weird stuff where uh, I plugged only four of the strings in. And then I played the other two strings. And so they would ring sympathetically. And because they each have their own output, you heard every detail. Normally, the sympathetic vibrations are so much quieter than the note you're playing on an electric guitar with a a mono output that you don't hear them. But when they have their own amp, it's really apparent. It's kind of like if you've ever played a double neck and turned the wrong set of pickups on. Oh, does that make sense? I I don't think I have done that, but I I get what you mean. Yeah, it'll ring sympathetically. Um, Yeah, if you ever get the chance in like Guitar Store or something to play any, you know, it doesn't matter how bad it is. That it if it vibrates at all, it'll it'll do it a little bit. Um, this is like a really extreme version of that, and so I fed those other two strings um, to a set of amps behind the microphone, and the four kind of ghostly ones in front of it, and so they'll be able to kind of float around the room, but you hear the melody from a fixed position and that kind of stuff. I I just can't wait to. I just can't wait to hear it all like properly and you know be able to listen to it whenever cuz cuz I listened back in the studio and stuff and it was a treat but uh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited to re- relive it a little bit. It was a really special day and I, and I couldn't be more thankful to a uh, Drajin and uh our our friend Jaya who introduced us. Jaya runs um Guitars Electric New York who's the reason Tao is in the US. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen you on their videos too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or no, or maybe I'm thinking of. Um, am I thinking of the right one? The boutique in uh, Long Island. 
Oh, that's yeah, that's um South Shore Guitar Boutique, Mike. Okay, I, I'm miss. I'm sorry, I'm confusing things. No, that's okay. We're all we're all. It's a little. There's like five people who are really into the ta- into the Tao stuff, and in the Northeast, and we're all friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of have to be. So yeah, yeah. I've seen you on the um, uh, South Shore Guitar Boutique videos as well. Uh, when when did you get a chance to go up to New York? So I actually grew up um, not too too far from there, and. <clears throat> Oh yeah, Philly's I, pretty close, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I and I grew up I grew up on Long Island. Um, nice out in the kind of like the weird farmy sticks part in Suffolk, and uh, yeah, I so I had played a Tao on a tour um, that was owned by Ryan Ryan A. Miller, who's like my favorite guitarist, and it was like I had finally found the thing I was looking for my whole life. I'd never played a Tao before that, and. I got uh, kind of obsessed and I kept talking about it online and eventually Tao reached out and I was like, oh, if you're interested and it got a ball rolling and I wanted to do a little bit more research before I settled on buying one just in case I had played like the only good one because mm-hmm. um, I've definitely played, you know, a lot of good Gibsons and I played a lot of bad Gibsons and, sure, you know, I I just didn't, I hadn't played enough stuff like Tao to just feel guaranteed that everything would be good. Or even if it was all for me, because maybe it'd be good, but just not what I was looking for. And so uh, I had gotten in touch with Mike, who owns Sasha Guitar Boutique and owns a few Taos. He owns a few tea buckets. And uh, we became friends. And he offered for me to come see the shop and he would bring in his personal Tao stuff for me to try. And it didn't matter if it had like a floating trim and the dual foil humbuckers like mine, or if it was a wraparound tailpiece and like PAS style pickups, every single, and this is true even to this day, I, I've probably played um, close to 12 Taos by at this point, every single one I've played was as good as the last and could be like my desert island guitar, even if the specs are totally not my personality. Wow. Um, something about them just works for me and i'm so grateful to have found the the people who do that but yeah mike was mike was really really essential in me getting mine because it showed me that you know he he actually at that time had t-bucket number one Ah. so i was like wow even from the first one they really had it exactly how i'd want it and then i'd also played emerald city queen which is a a green one with a floating trim and the dual foils, I, I think it's number, it's in the, it's in the teens, I think. Um, nice. Mine's 52, just for, for context. But uh, yeah, they were both just incredible. And then while I was there, I got to play a couple other things. And I got to play a Ronin, and I got to play um, a Teufel, and uh, got to, you know, to see like the latest offerings that um Abernathy had sent over and Justin I like love Justin's offset work and stuff and uh I was like wow this is just an incredible shop and and we stayed friends uh since then so every now and then when I'm in town for like a holiday or you know my mom's birthday is coming up or something I'll uh I'll hit up Mike and we'll try to spend a day at the shop while I'm around and just play as many guitars as we can together <laughs> that's awesome videos. Yeah, I'm really grateful um, for Mike and, and for that shop being around because 
growing up, there's never anything like that out there. Um, you know, the, all the, the local shops just had a couple, you know, uh, like the Ibanez geos and that kind of stuff. And you, right. even then you were like, can I play this? And they're like, uh, no, I'm like, okay, cool. That's, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of in the golden age of uh, boutique guitar. Oh, for sure. And I mean, and you know, yourself being uh, like a major, major part of that. Um, well, thank you. I, well, I'm, I'm trying to carve out my own little small, small little part of it. Yeah, I, th- I, you know, it's been really exciting seeing um, in the time that since we've linked, just seeing what you've come up with and like really interesting little developments and and beautiful nods to tradition, you know, where it's like, okay, yeah, this was, this is kind of telly-ish. Right, know? Like, right. You know, it, but... That has been a, uh, my, my blessing and my curse is like, I don't want to copy anything, but then sometimes the market just wants... You know, yeah. they want another telecopy, but I just, you know, I can't bring myself to do it. So they want what they want. It's, yeah. you know, it's so interesting. And I, um, I kind of cut my teeth in the industry working for Pigtronics at the time that we were starting Supro. Ah. And uh, so I really got to learn that lesson firsthand of like, people like what they like because they know it. Mm-hmm. And there are just not as many uh, explorative people as we'd, as we'd like to think, you know, like just the, the sound of a distorted guitar must have been so horrible at first. Yeah. Because yeah. we didn't have context for it. And some of the super ants were the first like, you know, recorded examples of distortion, like Link Ray's rumble and stuff. Um, she just like massacred the speaker on a little Supra to make it just sound horrible. But now that's, I mean, that's a classic sound. If anything, it's a it's a dated sound, which is unbelievable that a a pencil punctured speaker is <laughs> a sound that is no longer experimental. Um, yeah. Well, it reminds me of uh, like Back to the Future when he starts <laughs> just like ripping it, and everyone's like, "Uh, <laughs> settle down, dude." You know. <laughs> but I'm sure, like, if if you and I were in that time watching it, we'd be like, "Yes, what is this?" You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it it is interesting that no matter how we try to innovate, there's always some part of the market that just wants what they already know and what they already love because they can finally afford their childhood dream and. uh yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you make a really good telly. Sometimes you just got to do it. But you yep. do have, yeah, I mean, you have such interesting additions like the tone block and. Um, oh, thank you. Is that the correct term? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Tone block. Yeah, stuff yeah, like that. That that one, that's my one, um, I don't know if you'd call it an invention. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> simple, but but the that's the one innovation I've made that I can definitely say is like, Oh wow, that that did something and was mm. unique. And I've still only done one of them. <laughs> it, it, it's not like I made it and uh, people were beating down my door to order them. But ever since I made it, it's been in my head like I've got to do another one of those. Yeah, I, like I kind of dream about it. But yeah, that combination of lots of mass right under the bridge, bolted into the bridge, and then just what's essentially a hollow guitar but chambered just like mm. super duper heavily chambered. Uh, even when you pick it up, you notice that like, oh, this guitar's kind of heavy. Like a, that one was about eight pounds. Okay. 
and but then when you you could tell just like setting it on your knee that the body was light <laughs> if that makes sense yeah sure it, it wasn't neck heavy but it's like you could tell there was like there was a lot of weight right in the center of this thing and it certainly uh it certainly made a difference that's neat i mean it's kind of like picking up a speaker you have this big magnet on the back and then yep. the spider <laughs> and the cone and the rest of the carriage is is paper you know yeah, i know and that was the entire genesis for the idea was I even called the chambering on that speaker cone chambering because it all kind of emanated from the bridge. And, and that was the idea to get it to just vibrate like crazy. And what it resulted in was a, a really acoustically loud electric guitar that doesn't sound like a hollow body. It sounds like a solid body to me. Yeah. That's real clever. I like that. I really like that idea. And did you find the, um, did you use pickups that you had used before in that build? I did. Yeah. In that one, I used, um, a Lawler Tron in the bridge and a Lawler 52 Tele mm. neck pickup. That's killer. Which I think is my favorite pickup combo personally. Yeah. That's not, I mean, something like that is just so, so fun because you have that really focused mid range. Um, but it's not a PAF. It's not doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's just focused, but can still really do clean. And then the neck is just all bell. Did yeah, um buttery? Yeah. <laughs> Did you find they behaved particularly different in that configuration in that guitar? Um, I think they just did. I, I I'm kind of weird with the the whole like pickup pairing thing. Mm -hmm. I I feel like if you make the guitar well mm -hmm. and you have like a good um neck joint and all all that kind of stuff the pickups you it, it's just gonna i don't know like i'm not so much as like pairing this pickup to that body as i am i want to make the guitar as good as possible mm -hmm. and then pick pickups that i want for that application if that makes sense yeah definitely um, but, uh, and, and I know there's a lot of, uh, folks that definitely subscribe to that and be like, Oh, you, this pickup belongs in a mahogany body and that kind of thing. Sure. And, and maybe, maybe there's something to that. I just, uh, I haven't, I, I don't know enough about the pairings to make a good recommendation. I feel like. Hmm. Yeah. It is something that kind of comes from trial and error and it doesn't really feel worth it if at the end of the day you're just going to be confirming you know forum legend and you might as well just make yeah like you're saying just make a guitar that's good and the pickups will do their job yeah I, I do find myself like listening to a lot of pickup sound samples and at the same time I'm like knocking on wood that I'm using for the build I'm knocking on necks after they're glued together so maybe in some way it all kind of <laughs> goes into my final choice but mm. uh, with pickups i tend to go with what i know that's cool like i like i'm curious what something like a, a little more microphonic would do in a guitar with the speaker cone chambering and a tone block if it would pick up the body in a way that was sounded really unique or extra resonant or maybe you know 
like I'd love to see one with the piezo in it, like on a like on the Tao thing I was explaining, just to to really hear that whole body behave like that. It's because it's super unique. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I had to do that sometime. It'd be cool. Yeah. It'd be easy to undo if it sucked. <laughs> true, true. Uh, and I would really like to do, um, you know how everyone's experimenting these days with uh, like an extra pickup on um, past like the the overhang of the strings going to a tailpiece, you know? Oh, yep. And with like a blend-in knob and stuff like that. I feel like if I ever do a really good experimental guitar in that way, that'd be a good thing to throw in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I It's always exciting to kind of see those little sympathetic bits of the guitar get highlighted because I, I think they're... Um, I think they're more essential than we give them a credit for a lot of times. And I, I think like just a, the way a headless guitar sounds is a really good example of why it actually does matter to have a headstock if you're going for like a traditional sound. Yeah. Um, and I love headless stuff, but I, I tried to play headless exclusively and I missed the sympathetic stuff that you have on a, like a Fender style so much that I, I sold, I've sold every headless I've ever owned. Really? Yeah, there's just something kind of belly. And, you know, people do, I feel like the people who recognize it the most are the ones who want it gone. Like the, mm. the metal folks who have like the groove gear, fret wrap kind of stuff and, yeah, you know, mute or people tape behind a jazz master, or like the buzz stop, stuff like that. It just kind of kills the sympathetic resonance. Yes. And it makes a huge difference too, even with lots of distortion, you can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was first starting out, I was a big metal head and that's all I would play is my Ibanez S series with a <laughs> with a metal zone pedal. Hell yeah. Uh, but uh that was one thing I would experiment with. I would like tie a sock around it and I always hated the sound comparatively. I'm like, I like that extra bit in there. That's like my my tone going away. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is just a, there's a sparkle there that the guitar the guitar puts out those yeah. those S series are super fun. That's a good shape, dude. That that's still like, if I everyone asks me like, oh, I'm, I just want to learn guitar. What do I get? I'm like, go buy like a three hundred dollar used S series. Yeah, and, that's it. I'm surprised. Shred. I'm <laughs> I'm surprised they're more popular than the RG. You surprised they aren't more popular. Yeah, they are more popular. They are, and I, I, I would think if I saw those two bodies totally devoid of a, like, cultural reference or anything, I would think that the yeah. S was the popular one. I would agree. I mean, I think most people don't realize how thin they are, and yeah. so they, if you just see one in a magazine, how would you know? But that body tapers so thin; it's crazy. <laughs> when I first picked it up, I was just like, "Oh, this is what I need." <laughs> Have you seen, um, back to the boutique thing, uh, more guitars, M-O-O-R it might be? Yes, he gets thin too. Yeah. It's that thin, that taper at the edge that like really gives you that illusion of thinness. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, I remember reading something, um, yeah, that, that Builder had said, and I guess it was like at the, where it matters, it's as thick as a Les Paul, but it just goes, it just tapers for so long that you get to just about nothing at the edge. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And it looks like he uses pretty 
pretty decently sized shapes. Yeah. Like they get, they're probably pretty wide in the lower bout. So you can, yeah, you can really exaggerate that. Yeah. And yeah, for, for people listening at home, I think that's M O A R guitars Mm. more. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. Definitely check those out. They're, they're fun. Uh, fun to have in the Instagram feed now and then and just be like, Whoa, I haven't tried one yet, but I'm excited to one day. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to try those as well. I think, is he, is he overseas? Are they overseas? I think he's in Germany. Yeah. That makes sense. I want to say Copenhagen or something. Mm. I, I was very fortunate to go to Germany once and I got to hang, hang out with a Nikolai Shore and try some of his builds. Oh, nice. It was crazy. Yeah. Talk about, uh, resonant looking instruments yeah for real <laughs> yeah how, how were they when you tried them oh it was, it was it was divine that's another that's another instrument that sounds like itself and only itself and mm-hmm. that's the sound you're going for like you know welcome welcome you, you know you found it you've arrived <laughs> yeah um because he he winds all his own pickups as well right mm-hmm yeah, and that whole that whole sliding system, like, it seems cool, and then once you try it, it's easy and intuitive, and is even cooler than you thought it was going to be, uh, at least in my experience. I, uh, yeah, and and Nikolai, uh, Nikolai studied under a classical builder. I think her name is Anna Roberta, maybe. Um, but once you feel his instruments, you can, you can really see that in, in the way it's it's all done by hand it's done in in his flat um they, i don't think there are any power tools used at all that yeah the neighbors I don't see, even know there are guitars happening i i see his videos and he's like carving heels with like sharp knives and stuff <laughs> and, and i'm just like what it, it he'll he'll put a bevel on his heel block and he'll do the whole bevel with a chisel. And yeah, it's just, it looks very methodical. I think he's also using some kind of um, like a soft wood for the neck that's then like wrapped, mm. like in a veneer or something similar to what, um, um, oh, like Parker? Like, yes, yeah, Parker. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he still does that on his modern arch tops. Have you seen those? I have. Those are, that is, that's another one on the, on the long, but the short side of the long list of like, I need to try that before I go just to try a Parker, like a real Ken Parker. Like, Oh, what a dream. Yeah. If I win the lottery or something yeah. <laughs> uh, and one of those pops up for sale on reverb, I might just drop 30 K on it. <laughs> Goodness. But yeah, un- unless the lottery gets one, I don't think that's happening. unfortunately and that's even that's even one of those like you know i've been lucky to play uh giselli at a at south shore i've been lucky to try every town model i've been lucky to play a bunch of vintage stuff at carter over the years but something like that it just isn't even out on the floor right yeah you know there's no there's nowhere that just sits waiting to be tried (laughs) right um you really got to find someone or yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like you would really, really enjoy the high end finger style steel string world. You ever dive into that? A little bit. Um, I, I, I had done, um, 
Sonorafest up in Montreal. Yeah. For and uh, when I worked for Red Panda, and I, I had made friends with um, Tom Sands, who does a lot of um, a lot of really interesting, beautiful stuff out of a really interesting, beautiful wood. Yeah. And he studied under um, Irvin uh, Samaji. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, he's he's one of uh, a few apprentices. Yes. Of his, and they're all just like exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. Once you like, that's the other side of this whole thing. You know, I was like, the Tao inspires me in a way that I've never felt. And I think I'm pretty much here unless maybe I get like a kind of arch top hollow body thing one day that would be kind of an acoustic electric hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty much happy in electric world. But now I'm like, afraid i'm gonna get the acoustic bug because i even this weekend um my friend was in town for thanksgiving and uh she doesn't play guitar but she kind of she's a she's a very technical person she's a scientist and so i'm like you know what? we should go to carter just so you can like so i can show you some cool things and so we went to the acoustic room and i was like here just listen to this and i just like played an eleven thousand dollar martin for a bit and then I picked up a random acoustic and then I played like a 1904 style a, um, you know, just was like, just letting someone who's not a musician hear super high end acoustics. And it was really funny. Um, cause it, this was kind of a test to see if like, I was just, you know, that much in my head, but someone yeah. who doesn't have experience with it being like, these are drastically different. And I've never heard that out of a guitar. I'm like, yeah, that's unfortunately, <laughs> once you hit this price range, they really do have personalities <laughs> that are glaringly different. And uh, yeah, uh, it was rough to have the the bias confirmed. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and they're, you know, those kind of high end ones, you, you, the entry points kind of the five grand and up range. Oh, so scary. That's the low end of it. Yeah. Um, if you're ever in, find yourself in North Carolina, I think it is, uh, you need to make an appointment for dream guitars. Okay. And, and that is like the dealer for, uh, steel string acoustics. Cool. Luthier, luthier made stuff. You, you would love it. I'll write that down. Very quick. And, and they're actually, their YouTube is a really, really great resource to like differentiate the different builders sounds. Because um, they have one of the guys that works for him is Al Petaway. Are you familiar with him? I don't believe so. He's a like I think he's like a, a fairly accomplished like uh, finger style recording artist, hmm. and so he plays one of his songs, the same song on like every single one. Oh, if he's wow. doing the demo, so you can go between these ones and hear these drastically different voices. And at least kind of, at least as good as you can on YouTube, kind of be like, oh, I think I like this guy's sound. I really want to try one of those. That's really cool. I like the the kind of um, the kind of control experiment of using the same tune on everything. Yeah, yeah, it's like hundreds of them. Yeah, it's really cool. That's nice. Yeah, and especially like, you know, I feel like the ego of a demo person sometimes is like, Hey, look at all these things I could do. And you sometimes lose the product in there. Yeah. Um, 
definitely like an, a lesson I learned at NAMM walking around and being like, you know, I have to demo these super amps and these Pictronics pedals and yeah, I could do all these zany sounds, but like, what if you just play one really good chord and then one really good chord after that? And that's where some of the more like spatial um, kind of ambient parts of my demo stuff started. It was just like, how can I differentiate our sound at NAMM? Because <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. try to shred over these people. Yeah, I still haven't been to a NAMM. I really want to go. It's a treat. It's a really unique hell. Um, <laughs> I would never discourage someone from trying it once because I, I, it's a, you know, it's a layer of, it's a ring I like to exist on. Yeah. I mean, I, embarrassingly, I remember looking at a Tau Disco Volante next to John and Serge at NAM 2017, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I looked over, I was like, wow, that is such a cool looking guitar and kept walking <laughs> because I was, I was at work. I had to go back to my booth. If I knew what I know now, yeah, I would have taken my lunch break to go visit them. Um, but I still have never met either of them in person. You know, oh, dang. it took, it was another three, no, it was another two years till I played a Tao. <laughs> you know, I was like, I really could have skipped to the good part of this whole guitar thing a lot sooner if I had just, if I had just stopped for five minutes. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It's just part of the Nam thing when you're, when you're there for work, you just, you got somewhere to be and you see all those cool things, but yeah, it, it'd be fun to do one year just for, just for myself. I did want to ask you, um, for the folks at home, what are, if you if you want to like dip your toes into experimental music? Oh, definitely. Where do you start? I, I think, um, a lot of experimental stuff post like 50s, 60s has unfortunately been swept into academia. Uh, and maybe on purpose. There's like this paper Edgar Varez wrote about like the public is no longer interested. We will now serve ourselves. It's, you know, some kind of declaration of like the nerds will be nerds and only we will care and that's okay. Um, which, you know, I kind of think he's wrong. I think there's a lot of fun in uh, in just sounds. People like sounds. You like Michael Bay movies. You like sounds, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's cool if it's KG Hino. It's just like shredding. Um, I, so I, I do feel like there is some use in kind of looking into some of the old academics like John Cage and, um, you know, for 433 gets talked about a lot. It's just like an interesting or funny thing, but his actual pieces of music where he would just like run multiple turntables or multiple radios at once, um, or his prepared piano stuff, more importantly, like most importantly, rather like uh, Bacchanel, I think it's from 41. And that was a piece of um, music where he used a prepared piano. And, and for the unfamiliar, that means he um, modified the instrument for the piece specifically. In this case, he shoved, erasers and nails and uh, paper clips in between the strings of the piano. So when a note was struck, it sounded more like a percussion instrument. And when you play the score and read the notes, it doesn't come out as notes, but it comes out like a, a group of percussionists. Um, wow. 
and he had written that for a dance troupe that were in a very small theater that only had a piano and couldn't fit like tabla players or anything. And uh, little things like that, you know, all the way back to the 40s really laid the roots for what still happens today. So I feel like looking, you know, looking to the old nerds like Sean Cage or um, um, Stockhausen, Schoenberg, you know, and you kind of find new sounds. And then from there, you can kind of fast forward into the 90s, uh, late 80s, and look at how those things kind of reverberated out into um, Sonic Youth, people like that. Okay. And then from there, I say take a step back and look at who Sonic Youth was listening to. And I feel like that would give you a really good lens of like the OG weirdos, the like pop music, because that's really what Sonic Youth was doing that eventually came out of it and the people who directly influenced them. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of like uh, Glenn Branca who made the harmonic guitar, which was um, a double-sided guitar. It was a, it was a guitar neck that on either side, there was a body and you play it with a slide. And when you go up one guitar's neck, you're technically going down the other and they're, tied and it is just a barrage of sound whoa um glenn bronca you said yeah g-l-e-n-n-b-r-a-n-c-a yeah and he had these little guitar orchestras that thurston moore and lee rinalda from sonic youth had both played in when they were teenagers um and so they kind of cut their their teeth on the weirdo experimental stuff and all the open tunings and the prepared guitar where they stuck the drumstick under the strings. Um, all that cage stuff, all that eventually led to weirdos like that. And I feel like that's a, a pretty fun framing. And then from there, there's totally separate world of electronics and like, you know, Mers bow and what oh, have yeah. you. And then, and then you can kind of jump into modernity and you have folks like Oki Young Lee, um, who plays cello, but it kind of sounds like those electronics. Um, gosh, who I mean, who are your who are some of your favorite um, to listen to personally? Uh, Mary Halverson is probably my favorite guitarist. She um, she does this really cool thing where she'll play a big arch top with a couple pedals and a volume pedal, and when you see her live she will pull the volume pedal all the way to quiet, but keep playing and actually plays with kind of like the sound of the room and the acoustic instrument in the room and this like kind of wall of uh, affected guitar that'll bleed in and out. And uh, she writes really interesting tunes. She has trios, she has octets, she has records with Trevor Dunn. Um, that are super like kind of Mr. Bungle. And then she has a little more straightforward jazz stuff with like Frizzell, Bill Frizzell. Um, yeah. I really like her. Uh, I found yeah, this. I've got to, I've got to write her down. Mary yeah. Halverson. Yeah. Mary Halverson. Um, H-A-L-V-O-R-S-O-N. Just today I found this record from Derek Bailey, who is like a 60s, 70s, um, kind of noisy guitar improviser who really changed 
a lot of things for people. Um, he's one of those folks I didn't find till later, but then when I found him, I realized that he was the reason all the people I liked did the things they did. Okay. Um, like a, like a Robert Johnson to noise guitarists. <laughs> um, what was his name again? Derek Bailey. Derek Bailey. Yeah. B- okay. Yes. B A I L uh, E Y. And I found a record today with a, a Japanese drum and bass artist named DJ Ninja, N-I-N-J, like like Ninja, but without the A. And it is like weirdo noise guitar over drum and bass. Ooh, and that sounds I, interesting. It's so, yeah, interesting. Interesting is the right word. It was super weird, but he just he's kind of ripping. kind of sounds like Sonny Sherrick, but... Um, which is a little different because he's normally with Textural. Sonny Sherrick's another good one. Um, or Sharrock, S H A R R O C K. He did the music for like Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Oh, yeah. I loved that show. Yeah. The sort of freaky. That's all Sonny. Um, and. Yeah, I don't know. There, there are just so many so many angles to get into the experimental thing because there are some people who are just doing sounds. There are some people who are like Mark Rabot who try to take traditional music and turn it on its head. There's people like, uh, you know, 70s Electric Miles that was, for the time, totally experimental and by now has almost been contextualized into just being really cool jazz music. Um, oh. But if you listen to like some of the live stuff like there's this one live video of miles i think he's in paris i think it's 1974 they're playing a track called ife ife and i want to say it's like a nine minute video and there's this flute player when it opens and he's just ripping and then miles plays for a bit and the this bass line it's super simple it's um it's like boom 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 boom, 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 just the whole time. And they're just kind of grooving over it. I think it's like Jack DeJanet on drums. And then out of nowhere, there's this guitar solo that just like rips the thing in half and almost everyone drops out, uh, including Miles, which I always read as like a really sign of like, check this out, check this out. You know, he like seems <laughs> seems into it. Um and this dude is playing a Vox Phantom 12 string, like the kind of teardroppy one. Uh-huh. And it's it's just not in tune. It's not out of tune. It's just not the pairs are out of tune. Everything about it is whack. And it sounds <laughs> like it again sounds like a ring mod because he has two notes going at once that are moving together, but they're totally unrelated. Um but the the aggression and like the sureness, the way he plays the solo, <laughs> it is, it is like, oh, it is so free. It is, he, he is meaning every note and none of it makes sense, but it's as if he was like, just like Jay, you know, and Jay Maskus from Dinosaur Jr. Just like, will play a five minute solo. And he's just in like his full Neil Young, like hair in the wind glory. It's like that energy given to total non-harmony um do you know the name of this song ife ife 
IFE. IFE. Miles Davis. IFE. Yeah, nineteen sixty three Vienna is the is the video I was talking about on YouTube. Um, Pete Pete Cosi, that's the guitarist. Okay. Yeah. Um, just it's just crazy, and I and I love this video in particular because it's long, and you have about five minutes before five minutes of context before this guy comes in. Because if you just hear it in, you know, if it jumps straight to the solo, you'd be like, oh, interesting. I wonder what was going on that he did that. But when you hear yeah. it in context, you're like, <laughs> nothing was going on that he did that. He just did. He just did that. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a really good question, like where to start with experimental. But it's it's just so interesting because it there's it's such an open thing, and there's so many angles to approach it from of whether like you just want to be beautiful and ambient and reactive, and you kind of fall into like that affix twin or like. Katarina Barbieri world mm. of modular and synthesis, or you can come. I up tend from... to go dark like swans. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of there's always exciting stuff like that. Yeah, I like I like that kind of world because they're they they want to like kind of pervert the rules sometimes. So someone like Man Is the Bastard, where it's like two bass players and a drummer or something. Um, yeah, just like yeah, why why need a guitar? There's no reason, you know. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool dark music. Um, that's kind of kind of adjacent to that uh, spectralist stuff, like uh, Sarajevo, S A A H R I O, I think it is, or um, Yanku Dimitrescu. I can't, I can't guess how to spell that. My buddy, um, there's a really interesting scene of music up in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and. Um, my good friend uh, Zach Rowden is a, d- a double bass player up there. Does really interesting experimental music, and um, he played for a bit with with Yanku in the uh, Hyperion Ensemble, which also had like uh, probably the most famous like pop music member would be uh, or not pop but like popular Stephen O'Malley from Sun. Oh yeah, he played with him, and and it's this really interesting, really beautiful like drone music that uh, Stephen O'Malley kind of fit into. Um, Yanku, Yanku Demetrescu, it's spelled uh, like Ian, I-A-N-C-U. And then his last name is D-U-M-I-T-R-E-S-C-U. And he and uh, Ana Maria Avram ran the Hyperion Ensemble for a, a long time. And it's very, very interesting uh, spectral music that is like squarely in the bizarro, like very just like cold european academic yeah. kind of thing um but definitely could relate i think to something like sun or swans or kind of droney i love cold europeans <laughs> i really like uh that russian composer schnitke alfred schnitke sure man he he has a um there's a video on youtube of a i think it's like a sonata for piano and cello or something something like it may not be a sonata i'm bad with classical names of things uh but in that it's like super experimental as far as the the kinds of things that the piano is playing it seems like he's just hitting random notes yet there's like an assistant turning the page for him (laughs) you know and then 
at one point it goes quiet and then it like goes to part two, like the next video. And it basically starts with the cellist like shredding on cello. Mm. It's just one of the, like once a year I have to go watch this video. That's fun. I mean, you know, (laughs) it's, it's like that sometimes, you know, even if it's something that you get out of it, that isn't like, that was exciting music or that was like, you know, quote unquote good. It's just like, that was impactful. Sometimes that's worth, that's worth the price of admission to have something impactful happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yanis uh, uh, Zanakis is a Greek composer, like post I don't know, World War II, who had worked with Lake Kubisera, the um, architect. And he does a lot of very interesting graphic notation where rather than uh, sheets of music, they almost look like architectural sketches. And they translate oh. to the way to play a piece. Um, and it might be a little less definite, but just a general shape of like all the strings slowly move up in pitch over this time duration. But they're okay. kind of picking where they start and where they end. And you just get these walls of like emotive sound that are very interesting. Um, his last name is uh, X-E-N-K- uh, X-E-N-A-K-I-S. And... Uh, he does Giannis cool. Zanakis. Yeah, he does cool spatial sound stuff too. Um, but like obviously pre the recording medium that would fit it well. But I had seen a piece um, of his once. He's he's like long long since passed, but it's a very interesting piece for eight percussionists, and they sat around the theater, and they only let people sit in the middle, and uh, they would pass rhythmic motifs around the room and like kind of over you and it felt like the music was bouncing around the space over your head wow Um, so yeah he was kind of playing with this idea well before it could be captured in a uh, appropriate way huh yeah totally yeah and 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 it's cool to see it still perform sometimes but i'm hoping uh i'm hoping i can find someone who's doing that and let my friend who has the recording equipment know because it'd be it'd be amazing to have that properly recorded. Um, actually, yeah. Zanakis is probably most notable right now because he's the guy who invented granular synthesis, which is the basis of like the uh, red panda particle pedal. Really? Um, he had this idea of granular synthesis. He has a book called Formalized Music. It's probably like one of the densest pieces of reading material I've ever come across because um, he was like a mathematician and architect first. So the way he approached stuff was very by numbers. And he writes about it in there, but he had this idea of um, creating these clouds of particles of sound by recording something onto a tape, let's say just like a, a violin, and then cutting it up and rearranging those pieces of tape. And maybe he would flip one piece of tape around, or maybe he would play one piece of tape at half speed onto another piece of tape and then insert that into the jumbled up one. And then when you play it back, it doesn't sound like a violin, but the timbre is of a violin. It is familiar, but the actual envelopes all fucked up. The note, you know, the pitch is all fucked up. Yeah. Um, he puts these blank pieces of tape in there. So all of a sudden it skitters and stuff. And that's kind of what the red panda particle is doing, but in delay form. 
Wow. Um, so it's wow, real, real innovator. Yeah. And this is like forties, fifties, just finding new sound, like for the first time, for the first time, you know, getting to hear, think of an idea and just playing around with tape for a couple hours. And until all of a sudden he's like, that's a truly a new sound. Um, the piece that I, I like the most that he uses this effect in is called, a, uh, I think it's French. It's like analogique A, a et B, uh, which I think is A, a and B. Um, I think it's spelled uh, A-N-A-L-O-G-I-Q-U-E, something like this. Okay. And he has a group of violins play, and then he has... Uh, a recorded version of them that he did the granular process to spit it back out. And it's all kind of, it sounds like pointillism and then the violins impersonate it. And so they're playing like mad, just like all these little, you know, and then he Whoa. does that process back and forth a couple times where he then processes a recorded version of them and plays it back. And uh, it's really cool. <laughs> Dang, man. Yeah. There's a, I'd say you've you've dropped more than enough knowledge for someone to dip their toes in. I I know I've written down several names I haven't heard. Cool. That I'm gonna, I'm going to have to dive into. Yeah, it's just a big dorky world to explore, and if someone can dive in and find their little part of it, honestly, I'd I'd say the other most important part than approaching it um, with kind of the understanding that like anything can be music, anything can be sound is just because something is called experimental music and it wasn't for you doesn't mean that experimental music as a whole is not for you because you just maybe didn't find the right experiment yet. That's a perfect note to go out on. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course.